one thing that my father taught me, both my parents, but really my father, he implemented me and my siblings, you know, always go out, get what you need to get, but you always bring back to your community. Um, you mm-hmm. never forget your community. Um, so that's what I think that's just really instilled in me as well. Like, yes, it seems, yes, the shoulder to Stosha, that shoulder to Stosha shook you. Uh, however, you need, you have a community. Learn to be efficient, be efficient as much as you can, but you have a purpose and that purpose is coming back home. So just knowing that this is your calling is huge. Hi, my name is Augustine Colebrook, and I'm the principal at Midwifery Wisdom Collective. I speak on this podcast about big picture, political issues, and the future of our profession. Hey, y'all. I am Jamara, and I'm a midwife. I'm also a birth justice activist. And this season, I am looking forward to sharing stories of Black midwives and the communities they serve. Hello, beloved birth community. I'm Angela Love, nurse midwife since 2004, preceptor and mother. I have a home birth practice called Midwife Love and a national telehealth practice called Midwife RX. My mission is to keep birth choices available and to educate the next generation of midwives for our daughters and grandchildren. Matriarchy now. I'm Layla Wyatt. I get to share with you the voices of student midwives from across the country and beyond. This season, we focus on those students who just graduated, are about to sit for the NARM, or did yesterday, and we get tips and tricks for you for what happens at the end of the student midwife journey. Well, welcome back to the Midwifery Wisdom Podcast, and I'm excited to be joined by my co-host, Leela, and uh, um, and uh, some lovely young midwives. So, um, hi, young midwives. How are you? Do you want to start with introductions, Annalise? Sure, that works. Um, well, hi, I'm Annalise. Um, I'm a CPM. Just recently sat the NARM a few months ago. Um, and I'm living and working in the Middle East. Awesome. Welcome. Thank you. Kalu, is that how we say your name? So um, that is how it's spelled, but it's actually Kayla. So um, yeah, so I'm Kayla and um, I just graduated from Southwest Tech. And um, I'm about to sit for my NARM. I'm kind of submitting documents right now. And then um, after that, I start everything for the Indiana license. How exciting, awesome. And then we have Trinity. Trinity, will you give your intros? Uh, Hi, my name is Trinity. Uh, I'm a student midwife from in Ohio. Uh, I start school this summer. So I'm getting on, I'm getting on the road (laughs) to becoming a midwife. Uh, The goal is to be certified by 2026, so. Yeah. Well, I love it. We have three of you at very three distinct stages of midwifery, um, about to start school, but having already attended birth, graduated school, but about to sit for the NARM and pass the NARM and about to start practicing. And that is such an exciting representation of the, the new generation of midwifery. So um, my first question, and any or all of you could jump in, is um, why midwifery? It's, it got you at a young age. A lot of people come to midwifery because they had a baby and they got to experience midwifery or they got to experience something they really didn't want and then chose midwifery. But how did you all get to midwifery? What, what called you to it? Well, and I want to know, since this is the youngest midwife podcast, how old are y'all? Yeah, we're going to ask that for sure. Okay, okay. I was like, wait a minute. I'm looking and I'm like... <laughs> Let's ask that for sure. When you tell tell us how midwifery, uh, the bug yeah. bit you, tell us about how old you are. Yeah. So um, I actually got into midwifery because I knew um, that I wanted to work overseas, actually in the area of the world where I'm currently practicing. Um, but I was 14 the first time I went overseas and 16 when I really felt the call into midwifery. And I was actually in a... Um, rural hospital in East Africa at the time when I 
um, I just knew that it was something that I was going to go after as soon as I finished high school. Um, so I went into midwifery school at 17, and then I actually moved here four days after sitting the NARM, so I didn't waste any time actually getting over here, but um, it's just this huge need. Um, I mean, the maternal child health care gap in so many places in the world. Um, just knew that I wanted to be part of the solution. How did you know? I, I, I want to know, like, what, what moved your heart or your mind or like, what, what called you to this? Did you see Honestly, something? Did you hear something? Honestly, the only explanation for it is that it was God, because I never, I never wanted to do medical. I never wanted to, um, I don't know. It was just not something that ever naturally would have crossed my mind. Like my mom had planned hospital births. Like we, especially like the out of hospital midwifery, like that was not a thing. Um, but I think like in some ways the need is the call too. like, yeah, yeah. The need is obvious. And how old are you, Annalise? I'm 20. 20. Awesome. So you've been, um, really focusing on birth work for six years now. Mm, yes, but it's been four, four years since I actually managed to start midwifery school. So four years attending. Okay. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Kayla. So, um, Annalise, our timelines are very similar. Um, so what was happening in the world, like four to six years ago, (laughs) I'm 20. Um, I actually grew up in birth community because my lovely mother is a midwife. Um, and she had me and my three younger brothers at home. So like her first midwife at that time was in retirement and wasn't even a midwife who sutured. Um, 20 years ago. So I just got to see her go through school. I got to see all of her hard work in in that span of time. And when I was 14, I was really getting into photography. And I was like, I don't know what kind of photos I want to do. I don't like portrait. I don't like doing family photos. They're too much work. And my mom's like, you want to go to a birth? I was like, yeah, I want to go to a birth. So at 14, I went to my first birth. And then at 16, I was trying to figure out like what I actually wanted to do. I was like in the cusp of like, do I want to be like a literature professor? Do I want to do something with birth, like be a doula? Because from ages like 14 to 16, that is the question I got was, do you want to be a midwife? No, I don't want to be a midwife. Yeah, my mom Why would I ever want to be a midwife? So it was no until I went to a birth I can't can't exactly remember even which birth it was but I just remember going to a birth when I was 16 about to turn 17 and I was like it's not that intense I can do it (laughs) it's not that intense I got this so after that I was like I could I could seriously be a midwife. Like at that point, I'd been going to births for so long that I couldn't imagine not waking up at like 3 a.m. to just like go to a birth. Oh, it was just so foreign. It was just like, what do you mean? Like if I did something else, I wouldn't get up in the middle of the night and just go to a birth for like two days. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like so, a normal nine to five? Who wants bank hours? That's I know. boring. <laughs> so then I, um, I was thinking about Mercy in Action, but there are multiple midwives here who've done Southwest Tech. So I was like, I'm just gonna, I slipped into Southwest Tech. I was the last person they accepted in 2021 when I was 17 is when I started midwifery school because I graduated early. Um, And then I just started that whole student midwife journey with my mom as my preceptor, which actually worked really well. Like it was never like mom and daughter dynamic that was like rubbing in like the wrong way it was like no she's my preceptor and like yeah so it was just a really good dynamic and I would also say that it was it was definitely more of a god thing of like that I actually ended up being a midwife because yeah you don't (laughs) did not intend to midwives yeah 20 (laughs) you just don't my entire class was like Moms of six, moms of three, yes, <laughs> like yes. all of that. Yes, yes, that's amazing. And you're 20 as well, right? Yes. Kayla? 
Okay, awesome. Well, Trinity, will you tell us some about your story? Because you also, I think, were influenced by a family member. Is that right? Tell me, tell me what I, happened. I was influenced by my Aunt Rhonda. Uh, she's a doula in Minnesota. And uh, from a young age, I'd like to say birth is always, it, birth babies and mothers have always been in my surroundings. Uh, I'm a middle child. And so my younger brother, uh, he was a C-section baby. So I got to see my mom postpartum during that and see her go through her postpartum phase. Um, and then as I was getting older, my auntie Rhonda was just helping her friends in hospitals. And eventually she found the word and she's like, oh, I'm a doula. So she took all the trainings and everything. And eventually she moved to Minnesota. Um, and that's when she started. I'd like to say she invested in me, <laughs> her along with my parents. They all just kind of invested in me. Uh, she would send me books on the anatomy of the male and female body. She just sent me the reproductive system books. Like it was just all this investment that she put into me. And I don't think she realized it, but it really did benefit me. Like I'm, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for those books. Um, and eventually at one point, you know, I was very, my mom just saw how intrigued I was with mothers and their children. And she asked me, Trinity, why don't you be a doula like your auntie Rhonda? Uh, my father was really big into getting trades. He was like, ah, oh, you really don't need to go to school. Just get a trade, you know, and being a doula is a trade. So, uh, <laughs> my mom was like, you should be a doula like your auntie Rhonda. And so I reached out to her and she told me what a doula was. And honestly, it sounded like a dream job. I was like, I just get to help pregnant families all the time and, you know, make sure moms are okay and make sure they're feeling great about themselves. Like, why wouldn't I? That's amazing. Um, and so when I was 14, I went to Minnesota and spent the summer with her and I got to attend my first birth. Uh, it was two hospital births and a mom in prodromal labor. I called it a practice birth for like the longest. <laughs> um, and then I came back home and I attended Wright State University as a college credit plus student uh, during my high school, during yeah, my first year of high school. And I took an English course and uh, I wrote a, a lot of like, we had like four big papers and all four big papers were on the black maternal mortality rate and the black infant death in the United States. And so I was just, it was shocking. I was like, why, 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 why? And uh, eventually I wrote about solutions and the biggest solution was black, black and brown bodies need to see people that look like them and feel safe. And uh, I decided I wanted to be an OB at 14. No, yeah, 14. I decided I wanted to be an OB. And uh, I eventually became a doula. And I just thought, you know, why would like, if I can solve it, just be a part of the solution. Like you said, Annalise, be a part of the solution. So uh, eventually, at the age of 16, my auntie Rhonda thought it would be a dope idea if I reached out to a midwife, because I didn't feel safe being an OB and not seeing natural births. Um, because also during my studies, I saw how we originally gave birth at home. Like it wasn't a fearful thing. Um, and so I reached out to several midwives and the midwife that reached back out is my now preceptor, Emily Schultz. Uh, she's amazing. And I've attended over 110 births under her practice. So it's been a phenomenal journey. And I honestly couldn't, I wouldn't give it up for the world. Uh, by my fifth home birth, I attended with her. I was like, I'm going to be a midwife because it's just the <laughs> level of care that we get, like that we give family. It's it's on a totally different spectrum. Um, so that's when I decided. And how old are you now? Trinity? I'm 18. So exciting. You're well on your way. So you've decided to go to school to get a meek accredited CPM. Yes. Uh -huh. Awesome. So you're going to breeze through your schoolwork. And do you have to redo numbers or are you gonna count the numbers you've already done? I have to redo numbers because I'm in an unlicensed state. Yeah. But I'm fine yeah. with it. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're coming in uh, with as many numbers as they require to graduate. And that's unusual. <laughs> I and think Layla did that too. Yeah, I was just gonna say, did y'all have anything like that where it was like, you got these numbers, but then they said they didn't count or 
those expire or, you know, you have to repeat things because it was whatever. Was there any situation like that for y'all too? Um, I had a lot of stuff that didn't get signed over the mm. year. Um, I worked with 11 different midwives by the time I finished. Um, one for the majority of my training, but quite sure. a lot had a lot of paperwork that ended up having to be thrown out, which <laughs> I think is just kind of how it goes. It's part of the process, but yeah. So yours was well, majority like paperwork. It definitely design. is that. Yeah. <laughs> if, when they switch to digital, we'll have a different reality. But you know, for right yeah. yeah. Well, and for anyone listening, like you, I, I mean, NARM and PEP and all the different schools are a little bit different, but um, I uploaded all my paperwork to Adobe PDF and it is all online and it is all, all e-sign and it is never lost. And so like walking around with a portfolio of pieces of paper is like not necessary. So students listening, use your technology to help you out. Are you sure they'll accept e-signs? I've only heard that they'll accept. That won't yet, but... If you're an AMIC accredited school, right? Oh, that's you. Yeah, Norm yeah. doesn't. Norm yeah, your yeah. signatures. Yeah. Yeah. But so um, think about that. Like, Please, and it's not a, really an e sign. Like, we're not even doing like an um, e signature. Like, she's with her hand, like signing the piece of paper on Adobe, right? And um, and initialing every little box through Adobe, but uh, just just some, some ways. And then it's a shared drive where it's all there and labeled ready to sign and not ready to sign. And so there's some ways that you can maximize not losing paperwork, but I mean, sometimes the midwife just won't sign it. I was pepped too. So it was just kind of do anything about it. You're yeah. walking around with the hundreds of pieces of paper. Like yeah. <laughs> We've heard that yeah. story of students like running into a burning house to save their paperwork because that was I so important. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Literally, oh like their God. house was burning down and they ran back in to get their paperwork because that, can oh you imagine? God. Yeah. I, can't, I really can't actually. That's the sad part. Well, Kayla, what, about, what about you? Did you have any yeah. like weird number things? Tell us about you, Kayla. Thankfully not. Thankfully, I didn't have any weird number things. So like all of my birth to Your mom was your preceptor. If you had weird number things, true. I would have to be like, oh, that's true. I didn't that's have any so weird true. number things because she had, I mean, she had really good preceptors, but she, she wanted to really make sure that everything got signed and everything was like the way that I need to be. Were you her first student by any chance or no? Oh yeah. I was her first pancake. I guess yeah. her first kid and her first student. Wow. <laughs> so I think, um, I think that's going to do her really good though. Like she was I able to like learn and figure out how to be a good preceptor with someone she could really communicate well with. And now imagine how great of a preceptor she'll be with someone that's not her daughter. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So, um, yeah, but all my birth photography ended up coming in as my 10 observes. Yeah. And then I maybe five assists by the time that I started school. But the vast majority oh. of my birth experience was birth photography and just like, like wow. sitting for witnessing. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, by the end, I was like itching to like actually start assisting. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, we heard. Um, Trinity's um, real kind of um, underlying pull in was to be a part of the solution for the maternal health crisis, specifically around um, BIPOC folks in the U.S. And Annalise, it feels like your desire was out of country. Can you can you tell us about what you're planning to do and where you're working now and like what this inspiration was? Yeah, I mean, the need is obviously huge in the U.S., and I saw that throughout my apprenticeship. Um, I apprenticed, for the most part, in Spokane, Washington, and so um, saw a lot of needs there as well, Um, but obviously the needs overseas are huge, too, Um, and yeah, I'm currently living in the Middle East, kind of doing a little bit of everything right now. I'm the only, I guess, midwives here are not really independent practitioners we're working towards that but right now they're essentially nurses and there's not a very high level of training that goes into that um and so as far as like a midwife who's able to practice independently um 
I am the only one within two hours of here. So there's some two hours mm. away in one direction, some two hours away in another direction. Um, but I'm the only one in the city and we have, I think several million people here. And so, um, yeah, there's just a huge amount of need for that. Um, gonna start doing some birth work in the local hospital. Um, gonna maybe do some stuff for expats. So I've already been doing some mm -hmm. stuff for expats as well. So just the need for like, testing and prenatal care and um, having these conversations about informed consent and scopes of practice and autonomy have been kind of the main things so far. Um, but yeah, I plan to be here. I say I'll be here until God moves me somewhere else. And so I'm assuming a very long time. Um, and it's just, it's been really cool. Yeah, getting my feet on the ground and there's so many opportunities here to make a change. Um, just because there's been so much conflict in this region. And so we're still kind of in the post-conflict like stabilization recovery phase where we're figuring out, okay, what is the healthcare system here even really gonna look like? So I think mm -hmm. it's a really exciting place to be. Have you met the midwives in Demona? Mm -mm. There's, a, there's a commune in the South of Israel that is um, self-contained. They grow their own food. They have their own school. They have their own health center. And um, two of the midwives that work there came to a couple of my trainings several years back in there. They're independent. They do home births and clinic births, and they're really amazing providers. I'll connect you if you want. That would be great. Yeah, it's definitely been something. I haven't managed to travel much out of this region, um, but I definitely want to reach out other places in the Middle East, too, and kind of see what's what's going on. I mean, this area is pretty small, so I know what's going on here, but the surrounding yeah. country. Yeah. Yeah, there's amazing things happening. Actually, Georgia has some some really pro midwifery legislation happening, and there's a lot of midwives working in the hospital in Georgia, and and um, and uh, Dubai is hopefully going to have some changes soon. And like, there's some really amazing things happening in the Middle East. It'll be interesting to see who you connect with. Well, I have a question for you guys. Um, many of you may not know, but I was a young midwife, and this is part of why I I I really wanted to have this conversation. Um, I want to have a conversation about all the careers that midwives had before they became midwives, because there are some amazing stories there as well. But this is kind of a unique thing, as you all have identified. There aren't too many um, who find our calling so early. And I, I actually attended my first home birth when I was eight years old. My aunt was a midwife, and I got to attend her birth. Um, and then I started right out of high school, like you guys, and uh, never had a job besides midwifery. This is all I've ever done my whole, my whole life, and I love it. And the question I have for you all is it was such a challenging experience to be new in practice at the age that we are because people have a hard time understanding the scope of experience and knowledge that you have given your age. And so I remember this one thing one time very clearly. I'd spoken to this couple on the phone and they were primips and they were in their 40s having their first baby. And they had all the questions and all the worries. And we had gone on and through and through all the things. And they came in for their first appointment and I met them in the front office and they looked past me and they looked around me and they were like, where's Augustine? And I was like, hi, I'm, I'm Augustine. And they're like, no, 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 no. The woman we were speaking to was like a 50 year old woman. We want to speak with her. And I was like, no, it's me. I, I am the one you spoke to. They're like, there's no way you're too young. So I wonder if any of you have run into that as you're interviewing or meeting with people like you can't possibly be the midwife. <laughs> Has that happened to you? I haven't gotten that uh, in regards to uh, you can't be the midwife because I'm still a student, but I've definitely got a, you don't look like your age or you don't sound like your age. That's true. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and I tell people all the time, it, it, I, I try not to act my age because if I do, you probably won't want me in your space. <laughs> um, so, I mean, but naturally I'm very fortunate because I did grow up in a very mature household where my parents talked to us like we were adults or human beings so it's just it's just eh, like I just talk and they're like whoa you're you're 18 17 16 I didn't think that of you uh but that's the closest I've gotten <laughs> that's very similar to kind of what I experience is like the um the you're you don't act your age which mm -hmm. I mean I mean, that's a huge compliment. <laughs> Thank you. But um, I guess, like, 
I guess the only like maturity thing that is between me and midwifery right now is I can't be licensed until I'm 21. Oh, interesting. In my state, I can't be licensed until I'm 21. So that's all the way in March. So I guess that's like the only thing that's like between me and midwifery or like that age gap barrier type deal. Mm -hmm. I guess for me, um, it was less like the clients for the most part were really sweet. Um, and my main preceptor who trained me, she was like, oh, that's awesome. You're going into midwifery so young. That will give you more years to practice, um, which I think is a great attitude to have. Um, but definitely had some of our, it was more of our surrounding birth worker community who were like, really? Like you're going to like finish and move overseas at 20. And I was like, yeah, really? Um, so it was more from them, I think, than from clients. And especially like where I'm living now, like I haven't really like, they're just grateful to have a midwife here. Like I, they don't really even ask how old I am, which is yeah, nice. That's really, I could see that totally. And you know, I'm that other birth worker, you know, like I'm the other side where I'm, where I'm like, my philosophy is like young doula, old midwife, you know, like I want the young, fresh, energetic hands for double hip squeeze and counter pressure and being up all night. So the wise old midwife can, you know, be coming in as the medical provider. That philosophy is like, somewhere was told to me or somewhere was set in my mind. And so to think about a young 20 year old midwife, who's never had children, I have, I feel sort of ways. I do. I feel sort of ways like I, I, and that's me as a birther. I would only hire a midwife that has birthed, has attended many tens of years of birth. Right. And that's not every client though, y'all like that. There are clients out there who want the young, fresh midwife who is very skilled and educated and, um, and is, is energetic, right. And it doesn't have to be the wise old, you know, person who's had 10 babies. So I just want, you know, to say that, if you ever do feel that, that that just might be the wrong client for you. Like they're not looking for you, right? They're looking for a different midwife, but there's going to be clients that are looking for you and um, more and more clients, more actually. and more clients yeah. who are looking for um, modern, youthful, energetic, yes. fresh, mm-hmm. um, and not jaded and not biased yeah. and not like it feels like so many older midwives get stuck in their ways and they only do things one way. And that's true of every profession, right? Mm-hmm. You get into a rut, but I would say I hear more and more that that clients are looking for exactly like the cool this. sister. Yeah. Like the sister <laughs> midwife, like the one that's yeah. like right there with you, you know, um, and gets you rather than like has trouble with social media. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like they want someone that's like right there with them. And so I, I agree. There's going to be like a well, really and good the niche generations. Practice. I mean, this is what's true about midwifery is like, I don't know. I'm going to use that Matthew McConaughey quote. Like they stay the same age and I keep getting older, you know? <laughs> Like that's what happens is it's like, there's always a new generation yeah. baby. And so um, they increasingly, especially, um, you know, millennial and younger, like they are looking for their peers because they've been so disenfranchised by the other generations that, that they don't want old and wise. It's actually disturbing. To mm-hmm. them. They're in, in so many, yeah. In, yeah. in so many ways, but in midwifery too, but you brought up a really interesting question. And, um, I would love to pose this to you all. Um, when I was starting out, I was young, but I had, I had babies. I had babies at 20, um, and, and three more babies in my twenties. And, um, one thing that I saw a definite bias against Mm -hmm. was people who haven't had children helping people have children. And so that's the main complaint against male OBs is like, how can they know they don't know? And it, it transfers over into, um, um, childless midwives is they, that there's a bias against this. I I don't buy it at all. I think some of the best midwives I know have not, and will never have children. Um, but I wonder, I wonder how you all deal with it. Have you come across that? Have you found that bias in people you served 
Do you anticipate seeing it? How are you dealing with it? Um, I have a preceptor that's had 12 children. Uh, she's given birth to 12 kids. And um, I asked her <laughs> this question. Uh, Cause one thing I don't want to do is I don't ever want to offend a birthing person cause I've never given birth. Uh, and her biggest suggestion or advice to me was, uh, you don't want to act like, you know, you just want to be a support person. You know, you want to be a listening ear and advocate for them and let them know what they're feeling is correct. Like what they're feeling is what they're feeling. What you don't want to do is, uh, what's the word? Tell them what they're feeling or tell them what they're supposed to do, if that makes sense. Uh, that's where you kind of go wrong. Um, so I just always keep in mind to always validate what you're feeling. Of course, I can't level with you on that or actually say, oh, girl, I know what, you, I, I know what you're feeling or oh, I know what you're feeling because I don't. Uh, all I can do is just be there to be a support person to you at that point in time. So I've definitely- well, Let's uh, be honest. Like even people who have given birth, them saying that it's projecting their own births into the birthing person anyways. So like yeah. no one should be doing that. That's just good advice all around, but even yeah. better for sure. For someone who's like, you don't know what I'm going through. Why would exactly. you say that to me? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had a client once who was a midwife, a hospital-based CNM. And, um, she, she had a fairly difficult first pregnancy with a lot of hyperemesis gravidarum. And I remember one prenatal, she was sitting on the couch, just sobbing. I mean, just, you know how they do in the prenatals, you know, like the heart, the sobbing and the like, this is my midwife. I can finally tell her. And she looks up and she goes, I had no idea. I wish I had understood. I had no idea. I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, having this huge reflection on how she had been as a midwife all these years. Now being pregnant for the first time, she was like, it's so hard. And I was like, yes, we need to believe what people tell us, even if we don't have personal experience. I love that Trinity, that is, that's the best advice. And Emily is, is the best advice giver. <laughs> Did you happen to be at her last birth just a few months ago or did she do it only family? No, she only did only family, but I, I just got to see him uh, a few days ago, right after a birth and he's the sweetest. Yeah. She, she did amazing. Of course she did. Epic, epic birthing person, that, that lady. Well, that's such good advice. Um, how about you two? Do, you, do, do every, either of you face that discrimination that you haven't done this? So how can you possibly help me? I haven't um, faced it. Um, I haven't really come to like across it as well. Um, I think like the, like I recognize that I will like just be a more empathetic midwife when I do have babies. Like I definitely yeah. recognize that. Um, but I haven't really come across it yet. So yeah, that's it might happen when you first start in practice. That's when it happened for me. It's like when I was under the wing of my preceptor, who was one of those like ancient midwives, like white hair, crone status, like everybody get out of the way. The sea would part when she'd walk into the midwife, <laughs> you know, like <gasps> Linda's here, you know? <laughs> and, she, and so, you know, when, when we were with her, it was like, of course, everything is as it should be. But but then when I was on my own, I was like, who are you? <laughs> How about you, Annalise? I think that's another one that I faced more from other birth workers than from clients. Um, but again, my preceptor, Beth, who was wonderful, was just like, just kind of let it bounce off. Like, um, I can't. I think, yeah. Cool. Like, you can't think do anything about it anyways, so. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter what they think. Um, kind of cool. same with the beat really young thing she was like just just don't let it bother you um and she was really good yeah. at reminding me good. to not let it bother me um I think especially where I'm working in the world it would be really hard to do with kids um mm -hmm. I'm not saying impossible I'm just saying that it that I don't think I could pull the schedule that I'm pulling 
No, no. There's some uh, huge benefits being a midwife yeah. and students before kids. Oh my God. Because that's the biggest complaint when you're going on the chat boards, aside from all the paperwork, the other major complaint is like, how do you do this with children? So you guys definitely have. I was thinking that too. Like when people are asking you and you're like, well, how, you know, and you're like, um, I don't have to find childcare to get to your birth. I would just get out of the door and go. Like people are like, oh, that's really nice. I don't have to worry about you to worry about me. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's totally. huge. Um, Augustine, I know you have questions, but I have a quick question that I wanted sure, to ask these, these folks. And that is, I have a 14 year old daughter and I hear your stories of you kind of coming into this space at 14. And I also had a mother, Kayla, I had a mother who was a midwife. So I was attending births at like four or five, six years old. And, but I didn't find birth work till later. And then there was actually a moment in my life where I looked back and like had real actual tears for the 15 years lost to other corporate jobs that I wish were midwifery because now I know, and it's like my half of my life was lost to other things. And so I encourage young, young people to become midwives earlier. And I think about my daughter and I think about how can I invite her? Like something you said, Trinity was people just sent you books. And the thing about sending books is like, it's an invitation without pushing you, right? It's like, here's a book, read it, whatever, you know? And if you choose to open that book, you choose to open that book rather than being like, you have to come with me to births. This is your job. You take on what I give you because I'm your mother, right? And same with you, Kayla, right? Like yours was like, photograph. What do you have? Why don't you come photograph this birth, right? Nothing was pushed. And Annalise didn't have you know, someone pushing you either. In fact, you had a lot of more hospital experiences, et cetera. So I have a 14 year old daughter who said to me the other day, all right, what's my first job going to be? And my first thing was uh, birth assisting for me, duh. Like that was my initial gut instinct was like, I'll pay you $500 to birth assist for me. And, um, she was like, really? And I was like, yeah. And if in my practice, I do eight births a month, like you're banking, you know? And she's like, that's so much money, mom. Like I'll do it. And I'm, and I secretly in my gut, it was so that I could expose her to birth, normal, good birth. So that she, along with so many other young women could believe this is a normal event and good and safe. And when she chooses her own birth scenario and when, but here I am kind of with an agenda. And so I think I want to ask y'all, like, what do you, should we be doing that more? Should we be making more opportunity for young people to see birth or should we really just be waiting for them to find it? What are your thoughts on that? I think that um, more opportunities are awesome. I mean, um, I definitely wouldn't be where I am without somebody being like, hey, how about you not do family photos? Or like, how about you actually do something very out of the box? Um, So yes, I feel like there is a place to do like more opportunities. And I think starting with something super mellow Mm. like photography or like charting maybe not being like the person administering Pitocin right away but um like that charting like that's where I started was you birth assist okay clean up her vomit and Mm. hand me the trash bag and make sure I have gauze yeah okay I can do that because like and like really not like vetting who you're inviting into somebody's space but being like very intentional because my first birth that I went to was oh gosh like 36 hours right it wasn't okay. like the gorgeous four hour in no. Instagram births it was like real life <laughs> it was a primate and we got to pushing and heart tones down so we went into the hospital so it was a hospital transfer as well and mm. the first OB I got to be in the car with my mom as she's driving like it wasn't like speeding anywhere but because heart tones would stabilize but I remember her being on the first phone call with the first OB and we're just going in for Pitocin and this OB's like okay when you get here we'll have a c-section ready 
and my mom we rolled up to the hospital and like they're about to get the mom out of the car and my mom's like turn back around we're going to this hospital and we go to another hospital and at that hospital we get pit and we have a beautiful birth but at the same time like I got to sit there and be like oh like not this is also what birth could be this is what also birth could be and that didn't scare me away actually I think Mm. that was more like I am doing this this is awesome but like being really intentional to know that this like 13 to 15 year old to 17 year old you're going to be staying up for potentially 36 to 48 hours and you're going to like stay there in that space like are you prepared to like hunker down and just sit and wait and like literally just take care of someone that's your job you are um charting your listening to baby or again cleaning up vomit and you just got to be okay with that like in real life I realized I can't deal with vomit but in the birth setting nothing (laughs) it's absolutely nothing Uh, that's hilarious your midwife self is fine with it (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's fantastic I mean, this comes up, I think, often when clients are thinking about having their daughters at their births or are like playing with listening to heart tones at prenatals, right? And like, there's this little piece of me that's like, oh, maybe they'll become a midwife. You know, like every time I see a young girl at a birth, like a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old. And so like, what can we do to make midwifery accessible for the youth without pushing it on them? That's One thing I always did, which I think really made a difference because half of my students over the 10 years I ran a birth center came from this effort, is that I volunteered to be a guest speaker at both the local college and the local high school. Um, I eventually got into the middle school, but that was a stretch. And at those high school and college women's studies or health 101 or like gender studies or like any professor that would have me, I would come in and give a conversation. And I would bring a short birth video of what normal birth looks like. And then I would literally put it on and I would say, any questions? And the room would just explode with questions. And then we met their needs and it was interesting. And they walked away with all this new information. And every time I did one of those, I would get a phone call. Can I come apprentice with you? Can I come follow you? Can I come intern? I want to know more about this. And I think that I, I got many clients from that too, because, you know, those girls in high school are or college who were having babies were like, I definitely want to do this a different way, but I got many students too. And I think exposure is nine tenths of the process. If we just, if we just see, then those who are called to it will hear the call. What do you guys think? I definitely agree with that. I was actually going to state, um, I, I fully believe that if we started in the schools, uh, we begin to discuss the topic more, um, because at the high school, I still have friends in high school and stuff like that. And uh, they don't know about all the options that they have, like trade school that I'm very fortunate that I had a father that knew what trade school was or, you know, even know that, you know, carpentry, electrician, any any of that. I was very fortunate. But other kids don't know that they have those alternatives. A lot of them think, oh, I got to go work a regular boring nine to five and you know, I can't really find anything that I'm passionate about. And it's just simply because they're not taught. I uh, did an after school program uh, during the summer and I went and the girls asked me a whole bunch of questions, questions that I was like, hold on now, let me, let me make sure. <laughs> but it was Does just- Does your mom make, want me to tell you this? <laughs> exactly. It's like, let me think about a proper way I can say this. <laughs> um So honestly, just introducing uh, birth work to them. Like I talked about being a doula. I talked about being a midwife. I talked about being a a midwife assistant. It was just beautiful to see that the girls knew that they had other opportunities. And a lot of them was like, oh, I want to be a midwife then. And oh, Mm -hmm. I want to be a doula. How do I start? Uh, So honestly, just introducing them at a very young age. So I uh, I would second that, Augustine. Yeah. 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 
I think another big thing that I really saw was over, so one of the main reasons that I ended up becoming a midwife is because I was in South Asia, like in the Himalayas, in the middle of nowhere with a student midwife. Um, she's licensed now, but she was in like phase two at the time. Um, and we were just helping care for the women in the village because her training was more than anyone else in within probably eight or 10 hours of there. Um, and while we were doing that, she told me that I'd make a good midwife. And so I think there's also the part of like, when there are young people who are interested in being involved, or when you do see students who are younger, just like the importance of speaking life over them. Like, I know that's something which I was probably two years into midwifery school before I had a midwife tell me that I'd make a good midwife. Mm. And I think just the importance of like making sure that like, that's also like a foundational time in like late teens, foundational time in their lives of finding identity and finding their calling and the importance of just being extra careful um, with what we say and how we treat younger midwives and younger student midwives and people who are interested in becoming student midwives. Um, I think it's been an extra reminder for me to like be careful. Um, so that, that, and then also making um, education more accessible, I think is really important. Um, the routes are super confusing, especially if you're not coming from a midwifery background to like try and figure out like, what are you doing? And then like, especially overseas, if you have students who want to be trained over here, I'm walking through that with a student right now. And it is like, it feels like they're just to put as many roadblocks as they possibly can. Um, and so, you know, and then with PEP, there's all the paperwork that can get lost or not signed and there's very little accountability. And so at the end of the day, like the people who are called to it, um, you know, they'll know or they'll not know, but we, I feel like we make it intentionally difficult in some ways where it's like, even if you're called to it, like, how is this even possible? So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think the so responsibility right. of workers. Yeah. Hey, we're so right. We have a course called Pathways to Midwifery, which <laughs> discusses all the ways yeah. to become a midwife. <laughs> Check it out on midwiferywisdom.com. <laughs> impromptu ad, Layla. Well, I, I love this is a great segue into my last question for you today. And um, that is about uh, the doubt and the wonder and the fear and the challenge and the frustration. It's hard for everyone. Midwifery is hard. In fact, I oftentimes say it's the hardest profession on the planet is there's no other profession that demands so much of you from so many areas of your life and so many areas of education. Um, so it's hard for everyone, um, but it can be, I think, particularly hard to keep going when you are against the path already and then being young, you're also not in a flow. There aren't too many peers. There might not be people telling you that you can or should do this. In fact, there might be people telling you not to. And one of the ways that you can get off the path is by attending a, a really scary experience, um, a birth that does not go the way that we wish it would go, um, not even with a death, but just the scare, the fear, the wonder, the like, can I do this? This is so hard. What would I do if, and none of you are in private practice yet, um, so this would be a reflection on your student journey, but I wonder, are any of you were any of you shook into the core? Did you attend something that made you think, oh gosh, should I do this? Uh, the birth that I decided to be a midwife was the hardest birth I've ever seen. Uh, baby was fine, everybody turned out great. Uh, baby had a very significant shoulder dystocia. I mean, it was, it was very significant. Uh, it took a while, um, but like I said, I'm very happy everything turned out well. It was, the mom's very happy with her birth. <laughs> uh, but it shook me. I was terrified inside. I was like, oh my gosh. But you started working so hard to get that baby out. And you yeah. like, can't do that. Yeah. That's what I was like, will I be able to do that? Like, yeah. if I need, like, if I needed to, would I be able to break a clavicle and get a baby out? Like that, that went through my head. What, like, would I ever be able to tell a mom, your your, I can't get your baby out. I hope to God I never have to do that. But like, that's the fear. That was the fear that went in my head. Like, oh my. Um, you kind of just have to know it's your calling for you to be like, I, I, I have to keep going. I think one thing that my father taught me, both my parents, but really my father, he 
implemented me and my siblings, you know, always go out, get what you need to get, but you always bring back to your community. Um, you mm. never forget your community. Um, so that's what's all, I think that's just really instilled in me as well. Like, yes, it's, yes, the shoulder to social, that shoulder to social shook you. Uh, however, you need, you have a community. Learn to be efficient, be efficient as much as you can, but you have a purpose and that purpose is coming back home. So just knowing that this is your calling is huge. It's very, wow. it's, it's crucial. Keeps you going, keeps you going. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my second home birth, we almost lost the mom and I almost quit. Um, that was That'll definitely do. my, yeah, that was my hardest birth at that point, um, just being so early on in apprenticeship, um, had actually just moved back to the States from the Middle East at that point to, you know, finish apprenticeship and then come back over here and was like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? Um, still had jet lag and culture shock and all the things at the time. And so was it a hemorrhage? Um, it was, yeah, pretty massive blood clotting disorder, um, hemorrhage. And that was my scariest at that point. And then I had another one after I finished my numbers. Um, and before I sat the NARM, I was in East Africa um, and had a 45 minute resuscitation, which baby lived, but it was, yeah, just one of the, I've had a couple like that um, and a few more in between, but those were the two that I would say like most challenged, like, oh my goodness, why am I doing this? Um, and I think it kind of comes down to that. You have to know that you're called to it. Like you have to know why you're doing it or you will quit. Um, which like my reasoning was always like, I'm going to go overseas and, um, you know, help be a part of the change that's needed because we are losing moms and babies at a ridiculous rate. Um, I mean, in the U S but especially, um, yeah. low resource you know, areas, it gets even worse. Yeah. 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 So it just became more of my why, like the more I saw that, the more I was like, okay, and how do we prevent this? Yeah. Um, but I think if I hadn't known why I was doing it, that I would have done something easier. Yeah. Definitely. You know what's interesting about like going to another country versus staying in the U.S. It's just a thought that's on my mind because that's important to me too. And I'm going to be moving back to my home state of Louisiana to practice in which they have the worst maternal mortality rate in the country, the highest neonatal mortality rate in the country, the highest cesarean rate in the country, the lowest VBAC rate in the country, the highest STIs in the country, and the highest rate of women being murdered by men in the country. So almost the same amount as probably where you, like it is really bad. And yet the, the challenges that I feel like U.S. midwives are faced in is like, I won't have access to the TXA to save that mom because it's illegal for my license, right? And you might in your space. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I walked into a pharmacy last week, no license and got given TXA. Just right, to have like, and so no. it's like, I have, we, Louisiana will have the same rates that you have in your country, a third world low resource country because they don't trust midwives to- Well, I think it's more than that. It's not just that they don't trust midwives. It's that it is very openly and clearly a for-profit medical system. And anyone who's not making the money and midwives don't make the money, midwives mm -mm. save money. They don't mm -hmm. make money, right? Midwives yeah. keep people out of the system, keep babies out of the NICU, keep you out of surgery. So we are a threat to the system, which is only capital generating, right? It's profit mm -hmm. before people. So it really, it's not personal. And I think that's the first thing I really want midwives to know is that the systemic like injustices are not personal. And so, it, but it's a very interesting comparison of, of what it's like. Cause in India, same thing. When I practice in India, I can get anything I want from any pharmacy. There's yeah. no regulations. Um, and, and I'm welcomed for the most part. Um, and that is not the case in many of the parts of the United States that are suffering the most. I mean, if anyone follows, um, uh, Dr. Midwife, um, you know, the, the, the bill that's just been tried to housekeep to allow various um, simple fixes around PKU testing and, uh, and terminology in the birth center licensing or whatever. Um, it just got passed out of committee and into health committee and they just lost um, the chance to have it heard this session. 
um, because of the bias against midwifery, because those in power are supporting the system, which always centers profits, not people. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Um, that's, that's the big fight that all of you have. If you're in the U S is you have this fight to keep your belief and your heart intact while you continually ram into the brick wall that is the industrial medical complex. And it's, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. How about you, Kayla? Do you have any stories that shook you or are they coming? Are they still haven't arrived yet? Because they will, everyone gets one. <laughs> I I've had a few and uh-huh. thankfully I honestly feel like I've bounced back really well from them. Um, like in there have been a few so I'm gonna say in all situations because they've ranged from serious neonatal resuscitation to hemorrhages to really really crappy cords um and hematomas just they I've been to quite a few births and so you're never gonna escape birth community without any of these shoulder dystocias or anything like that so um I've just really been able to, I think the way that my brain processes it is you have a job and during that situation, you do that job and you know that you did everything that you can. That's how Mm -hmm. my brain really like gets through those big situations is Mm -hmm. you did everything you could, you had a job and you did it. Somebody needed gas and you got it for them. Somebody needed Pitocin and like a lot of anti-hemorrhagic medications and you gave it to them and if we still had to transfer good that's where we needed to go like it's just a lot of those stories are that way of like I did what I had yeah keep going do what you gotta do yeah and then um what do your friends think of you like, are, are your friends proud of you? Are they overwhelmed? Are they scared of you? Do they uh, know you're a badass? Yeah, do they know how <laughs> badass you are? Yeah, already? like, do they really know how badass you are? Um, I would definitely say I've had multiple friends come up to me and say, until I started talking to you, I didn't have birth dreams. I have birth dreams now where I'm oh. having babies at home. And I didn't have this until I met you. So I have friends who come up to me and they're like, I had a home birth last night. I don't even have kids. I'm not even close to getting married. Oh my God. You are changing the culture. You are changing the subconscious. Like the ripples of the time-space continuum are changing because of you, Kayla. That's fantastic. Or like just being a midwife, you you get to step into your friend's lives as like even menstrual cycles are just yes. completely out of they whack. They tell you everything, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah, it's just like, oh, Kayla, like I didn't have, I haven't had my period in two months. What do I do? Well, that's a little abnormal. So you kind of just like walk through the, walk through uh, that with them. And I guess you, you mm-hmm. get that opportunity to just like step in and even just like, the minimalistic, simple menstrual cycle. What is the ovulatory phase for your friends? And that's fun, but. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, you are all amazing. I want you to know that. If no one has told you recently, you look a lot like midwives. I can tell you'd be great midwives. And uh, it was really my pleasure to visit with you. Uh, Layla, I know that, um, you know, you got a lot out of this too, thinking about your daughter at this stage. Yeah, I did. What a and blessing. I think a lot about, like I was telling you guys before, my own bias of like wanting the wise midwife and just thinking about like how more wise you as midwives will be than any other midwives out there. Like it just like <laughs> mind blown, yeah. like when you're 35 yeah, with those other midwives who are 35 starting midwifery school right? Like, is that you, Layla? Is that you? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I was 30, like three or something, but like, yeah. And it was just kind of like, y'all are going to be the most wise women that yeah. people want, you know, because that 
time you that you've had. Are. I mean, that's all the right. part I, I want to reflect back is I'm so impressed with all of you. Super. Um, I can see the critical thinking and I can see the brilliance behind your answers. And um, I'm really excited for the world to get to experience you and your colleagues. Uh, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. Thank you. Likewise. It's good seeing you guys. Yes. Thank you for having us. Okay. Well, stay in touch. And we're not kidding. We have an amazing uh, conference in November um, in Denver, and we have an amazing hand blessing ceremony for the new graduates. So Kayla and Annalise, you guys should come and be in that circle. Uh, all the information's on our website. And thank you guys. Take care of yourselves. Thanks for being here. Bye. Bye. Rockstars. Bye. Bye. Bye.